With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go away you fur. With me this week is Steve, Zips of Akron. Yo, what's up? And you street. Hey y'all. So we got some good stuff to talk about today. A little basketball, a little bit of hockey, and the epic, epic fail that is Jerry Kill on interviews right now. So we'll get to that nonsense later. Starting with uh, men's basketball, Indiana, they kind of beat down Indiana just a little bit. Indiana is a bad basketball team. That's what I will start with. Okay. Do you have more thoughts, or are you going to stop with that? I do have some more thoughts. I got a couple of thoughts. Uh, first one, Romeo Langford is going to be a decent NBA basketball player. And it is quite impressive to me that Archie Miller is somehow unaware of this and therefore chooses to run an offense that basically doesn't give him the ball doing a high pick and roll literally every possession. So that was the first thing that was just generally strange. Secondly... Uh, the Gophers against Indiana had an efficient, effective field goal percentage of almost 60%, turned the ball over on fewer than 13% of their possessions, got almost 30% of offensive rebound opportunities, and surprisingly enough, since they're usually very good at getting a bunch of free throws per field goal attempts, were actually a bit low. All of which says, so even with that, they had an offensive rating of almost uh, 1.2 points per possession, which is fantastic. Part of the reason that was the case is that for the first time in a very, very long time, the University of Minnesota men's basketball team was able to hit three-pointers. Big ups to Daniel Arturo for his first three-pointer of the season, which was fantastic. I, but on top of it, Gabe Kalsher was six of eight. Amir Coffey was three of six. Dupree McBrayer even like scored points and made two three-pointers. So uh, Eric Curry apparently took one. And Broxtall missed, but those were like mostly garbage possessions. It was a really excellent display. But the other thing that happened, it helped again. Indiana's a bad basketball team, but all of a sudden, Gabe Kalsher makes a couple of threes. Amir Coffey makes a lovely step back three, and immediately the entire post opened up, for which uh, Jordan Murphy feasted all game. There are not enough superlatives to describe Jordan Murphy, so I will refer to what I said in the post game, which is that Jordan Murphy is the best power forward to come out of the University of Minnesota since Kevin McHale, and we are all going to miss him very dearly next year. Part of the reason we are going to miss him is that he has the capability, when he plays angry and when they find him in the post, to be basically unstoppable at the college level, especially against whatever weird, bad defense. Indiana was throwing out that was fantastic it felt so good to just like beat down on a team especially after like the past four games where they were close in a couple well you know they I mean we we beat Nebraska if we're gonna be keeping score at home but you know that's a topic for another time 
Um, but to to take home a 21 point victory after a four game losing streak is just it writes the ship enough where you're like, okay, well maybe we got something to look forward to the rest of the year. Um, and just, and you know, winning when your backs against the wall, it was finally nice to see the team like execute and, ex- and execute at a high level. Um, and also like for a national nationally televised game to have Jordan Murphy have one of his best games of the season, um, a little bit of a coming out party. It was really cool to see him just like do his thing and show the country what he's capable of doing. And you put it you put it in in a good way, Street though. But like just he plays angry, just like not being stop or you know it's like un, like unstoppable. Does what he wants to do, gets to the hoop. Um, just classic Murphy game, and everyone got to see it on the big screen. I'd like to have all sorts of thoughts, but I've wisely, for my own sanity, sort of tuned out from basketball for a little bit, which you know just keeps me sane during a. I mean, the Nebraska game, I would have been livid, but then I just checked in later, found out we got screwed, and just said, ha ha, I made the right choice. You should have been livid. I'm going to I'm gonna say something very, very brief about the Nebraska game, specifically about the officiating of the Nebraska game. Uh, it's a Minnesota Wildcat on the sister blog, Off Tackle Empire, had this post a couple of weeks back, being like, stop blaming the refs, which is true. It is almost never the case that officials actually cost one team a basketball game. And in some sense, like a given single possession or whatever should never cost a team a basketball game. I'm going to argue, however, that if you wanted to show a game for which officials cost a team a basketball game, it would be the Minnesota-Nebraska game. Because Minnesota, in fact, did everything that it needed to do to win. Didn't do it well. Should have put that game... uh, out of reach much earlier was the better basketball team the final sort of minute and 20 seconds of Richard Patino's clock management and the final play which was like a horn set that started with about nine seconds and led to Jordan Murphy having the ball 20 feet from the post was outrageous as a silly play call all of that true I'll even grant that Jordan Murphy committed an offensive foul because Jordan Murphy probably committed an offensive foul sort of two possessions prior and it wasn't called. And so that was your makeup on the inbounds. So which leads to the egregious foul call at the end that cost Minnesota the game. Uh, Amir coffee got picked off on a screen. I don't mean that like he got fouled. I mean, it was a good play that Nebraska ran to get James Palm the ball. Amir Coffey closed out, but he didn't close out super under control. If James Palmer had just turned and immediately gone up, it would have absolutely have been a foul. It would have been a foul uh, 19 minutes and 59 seconds remaining in the first half. It would have been a foul with 1.2 remaining in the game. But James Palmer did not do that. He stopped, which allowed Coffey to, while he was not fully set, to get into a defensive position. And then Palmer jumped directly into Coffey, and Coffey was jumping backwards and away. This is not a foul. This is, uh, if anything, it's a charge, but that's an absurd call too. It's a no call. That's what you're supposed to do. That's a no call. It is costing Minnesota the game, and because it's such a bad call, the other problem with it is that, and this is a broad thing that I have about the Big Ten and its officiating, which is often dog and has been dog for a long time under the guise of like, we like a physical game. If the Big Ten came out and said like, yep, the officials screwed that call up, which they did. 
If, if you said that, potentially there is some people looking at Minnesota as a bubble team, which they squarely are, and at the end of the season might consider like, oh, Minnesota should have won that game. The conference came out and said Minnesota uh, was the victim of a bad foul call at the end. Maybe we might take that into consideration. Because that's not going to happen, and because Minnesota didn't do the thing that it needed to do, i.e. put the game away much earlier, it makes the rest of their playoff uh, pictured substantially more complicated. Oh boy, I had to take a lap around our house after that game and cool down a little bit because I was so infuriated by the the way it ended. And you bringing it up, just I have to relive it all over again. It's done in the past. We got an Indiana win under our belts. It's time to look forward. I'm feeling great. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't watch, it's just a box score. I'm feeling wonderful right now. All right, moving forward, as you say. Michigan. We're playing Michigan. Almost beat Michigan last time on the road. Now they're coming to Minnesota. Uh, Steve, you want to walk us through what we got to look forward to on Thursday? So you're right. We did almost beat Michigan on the road, which would have been an amazing win. We wouldn't be having the bubble conversation or the bubble discussion, I guess, that we'd be having right now if we have a if we had a uh, win in Ann Arbor under our belts. But retribution could be in order. And I don't know if you do you have a different take on on Gopher basketball life now that they show that they can beat a team by 21 at home, maybe a little bit. Uh, Michigan isn't unbeatable. Um, you know, I, I I think they played you know subpar in their game against Minnesota in you know mid January, but now they're coming off. Um, you know, they had a nice win over Maryland, but they also lost on the road at Penn State. You know, Penn State is has a bad conference record. I don't think they're a bad team necessarily, especially the conference this year. Anyone can beat anybody, but this isn't an unbeatable Michigan team. Um, and I think they match up pretty well with the Gophers too, who could be hungry for one of these big time wins that they need down the stretch to lock in their NCAA tournament profile and, and, and to not be on this bubble anymore. Um, we looked down the final five games of the season. They got Michigan at home and Purdue at home. Purdue just tonight barely squeaked by Indiana, they had to get a three-second or a, a basket in the final three seconds from uh, gigantic crybaby center Matt Harms to to lock the to salt away the win. But you know we got Northwestern on the road, Rutgers on the road. Um, Michigan fits in there as a sneaky possibility to steal a home game, and I definitely think it's on the table for them to not only um, not only play it close, but but take a victory. Street, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't expect Michigan to play anywhere near as badly as they played the first go-around when this was in the Chrysler Center. So I don't predict a win. It is absolutely the case that the tournament math, the tournament math to me is three games. It's 10 regular season wins. Anything less than that, you have to make a deep run in the Big Ten tournament, and I don't actually know if that's going to be enough. But I feel pretty confident that if you get to at least 500 in the conference, especially 500 in the conference, and you win one in the tournament, that they're safely in. So they need to win three more. That means they have to win uh, some combination of Rutgers and Northwestern, absolutely, because Rutgers and Northwestern, even though they're on the road, are substantially lower ranked their teams that minnesota should beat and then you got to pick up one somewhere else which is unlikely to be maryland on the road so it's either michigan at home or purdue at home the gophers can weirdly match up kind of okay with michigan because they're long and assuming people aren't in foul trouble 
they can switch pretty easily so that's a benefit but this is not like a super old school michigan team that's just bombing threes i think michigan's one of my final four picks they're a really good basketball team this would be a great win i don't see it happening but i would love to be wrong keep in mind too that the wolverines don't play you know that they aren't rock stars away from the crisis center they have um lost three games this year and they've all come on the road uh those three losses have been to wisconsin iowa penn state the gophers would be an interesting company among those three teams um not dissimilar to how those guys play and again definitely not a easy victory for um for michigan in this one well street you brought it up kind of talking about what they need to do to make the tournament i guess bubble watching uh, Minnesota seems to be kind of riding that line, sitting at around an 11 seed, seemingly most places. Uh, do you think if they make the tournament, they find themselves above that, or do you think they just barely sneak in? Well, in some sense, if you're the 11 seed and you're a Power 5 team, you're sneaking into the tournament. I mean, I don't, I don't know offhand, so it's possible that I am forgetting an obvious one, but I cannot recall the last time a major Power 5 team, certainly a Big 10 team, was like a 13 seed in the tournament. I think if Minnesota was a 12 seed, the 5 seed on the other side would not be tremendously thrilled about that particular possibility. But I think you're looking somewhere between 9 and 11. I think the high that they could be, which is they win their next 5. So they win out to the season, and if they were to do that, that would be three quadrant one wins against uh, three very good teams in Maryland, Purdue, and Michigan, and then obviously the two road wins. That's the like best case scenario, and that probably makes them, I don't know, like a seven seed or something. Maybe, maybe a six. But if they make it into the tournament, in some sense, that uh, that's probably a good season, and then at that point, it becomes matchups. So I like what you're talking about, like their profile wise. Um, if they, I don't know, I, two games ago, I was definitely under the guys that um, they needed 10 wins to be 100% in. I think that hasn't changed. Uh, the weaker this bubble gets as we keep getting closer to, you know, conference tournaments and selection Sunday, stuff like that. It feels like two more wins, any way they can get them, even if, if that is two road victories against Rutgers and Northwestern in this conference in this year would be enough for them to get in as one of the last four teams in. Um, that puts them at like a 12 seed. And again, as, as these other like rival teams keep losing, like, uh, you know, take TCU, for example, um, the Gophers just have enough wins by proxy by being in the Big Ten to have a resume that just looks good, especially in this era where we're taking net rankings and Ken Palm rankings um, more at face value than like an RPI or a straight-up record just by playing some of these teams and um, even like a Rutgers or a Northwestern who have good peripherals, um, you end up looking pretty good in the, in the um, metric category. So I don't know. I, I, I look at a nine, a nine and 11 record at the end of the year in the conference, um, two wins down the stretch here in any way possible. Um, I feel like that puts them in just by the skin of their teeth. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, Maybe that's me being optimistic and feeling really good after this 21-point win over Indiana, who was somehow in that game a 47 in Ken Palm, ranked higher than the Gophers at that time, despite having lost ten of their last or nine of their last ten games and being four and ten, four and nine in the conference. I mean, it's like, at what point do we start looking at these Ken Palm metrics, being like, yeah, 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 I get you're an efficient team, 
but you got to win games at the end of the day. There also is something about this year, especially for which the something about the strength of schedule metrics, because that's what's going into the adjustment to do the adjusted efficiency is weird. I should again make a general plea that we should stop relying on metrics that are not open and transparent i understand that ken pomeroy has a business and i wish him all the luck and success in that but once we start bringing in metrics this is even more true for the net ranking if you are deciding someone's tournament chances based on a ranking for which i can't actually tell you what's in it i think that's generally a problem what I can tell you from one of our fearless leaders, Gopher Nation, that if you are a fan of the University of Minnesota being in the NCAA tournament, you should be a tremendous fan of the Washington Huskies. Woot woot. Uh, we are major, major fans of Washington. We should also be fans of Texas, Florida State, and then VCU and Wofford especially winning their conferences and winning their conference tournaments because if they do not, the bubble gets precarious very quickly. Here's a fun question for you, Street. Let's, all right, so play with me here. The Illinois Fighting Illini are currently six and nine in the Big Ten with a ten and sixteen overall record, with wins over um, Ohio State, Michigan State, Maryland, Nebraska, yours truly, the Gophers. Down the stretch, they got five games left. Four of those are winnable games against. The Penn States, Northwesterns, Indianas. They played Penn State twice, I guess, down the stretch. Let's say they go four and one. Their other game is against Purdue. That means the Illini are ten and ten in the Big Ten with an overall fourteen and seventeen record. <laughs> what does that mean from an NCAA tournament profile where they have ten wins in the best conference in the country, but are less than five hundred overall? Uh, didn't was it like Syracuse a couple years ago who like made it with some garbage record? Yeah, and didn't they win like two games, two or three games? They, they I think they went Sweet Sixteen that year. Well, it, honestly, being the eleven seed, that's why I said earlier from a matchups perspective, I honestly would prefer to be an eleven seed rather than a ten. I mean, you got a better, you have a better path to like go deeper in the tournament, right. I guess, because you're playing a. Six and then a three, I suppose, technically, as opposed to, like, the two. Yep. But, yeah, but I just love the idea of Illinois sneaking in as an at-large after they were, like, written off as one of the worst teams in the conference. They're not a good basketball team. I mean, the the wins that they have won, only two of those teams, and I'm not including Minnesota, are, like, actually very good. So the other the other ones are not. The I think it's a tough thing about the bubble this year. The bubble's really bad. And some of this is I think Minnesota will get helped because there is a view that the Big Ten is a very good basketball conference this year, such that if you get beat up, I think it's part of the reason why you can be sort of optimistic about the chances for Minnesota if they're 9-11. and But as far as I'm concerned, once they all get in that room, there's going to be an open question. Like, let's assume they don't go 4-1. and Let's assume Illinois goes 3-2. and so Illinois is 13 and 18 and 9 and 11 in the conference. Should they be in the NCAA tournament? The actual answer is no, not a chance. 
But if you think that the Big Ten is an incredibly challenging, difficult conference, you might look at that 9-11 and 11 and go, you know, you've got the wins that you mentioned against some teams that are uh, good. So these are good, solid wins. They improve throughout the season. So yeah, the non-conference was bad, but they're playing well at this point of time. What do we think about that? I think in a world in which your metric records are uh, all about efficiency, this is generally good. It's preferable to the RPI in a lot of ways. But because these metrics are not open and transparent, to me it's unclear what exactly the claim is for uh, for net rankings or for other rankings. And I think at some level there is this weird thing, which is like, that's a below 500 team. Why in any universe are we thinking that they're an NCAA tournament team? For that matter, why would we even think that Illinois is an IT team? You make good points. You should write for a blog. Occasionally. I'm going to just take this moment to transition back uh, to, to Gophers basketball for a second. Teams that might sneak in, I mean, the women. The women were had that great start. Then they completely shot themselves. Lost to uh, Illinois. And, which was even worse than when the men lost to Illinois. Way worse. Uh, and But now, what is it, five-game win streak? I think six. Yeah, so suddenly they're playing themselves back towards a potential NCAA tournament berth. Uh, Street, what what have you been seeing? Well, similarly, if I were to recap the Minnesota-Penn State game, it sounds a lot like the recap of the Minnesota-Indiana game on the men's side, which is that Penn State is a very bad basketball team. And Minnesota played preternaturally well and put the foot down really early, and that was fantastic to watch. The Gophers are were preseason were picked to finish sort of third or fourth. There's a lot of talent on the team. One major piece of that, Diva Hubbard, has been injured all year. And so that's that's hurt them. The They're very much on the outside looking in from an NCAA tournament perspective because the women's side seems weirdly to still use the RPI. I don't know if this is sort of like a hashtag sexism or if oddly in this case the women's tournament is actually better because it's not using the nonsensical net ranking or whatever to make judgments. Unclear. But based on their RPI, their RPI is quite bad. So in order for them to win, they need to rattle off a bunch of wins here at the end. They have the opportunity, because they're playing uh, quite a few good teams in the conference, including Maryland, to pick up those wins, and they have the opportunity to play themselves into the tournament, which is a great place to be if you are any kind of basketball team late in February, early in March, controlling your own destiny, which they have the opportunity to do. If they lose one or two games, I don't see any path for which they're in the NCAA tournament. In order to do what they need to do, Kanisha Bell and Destiny Pitts have to continue to play at a high level. Part of the reason the Gophers lost a bunch of games in a row is both of those players disappeared. Destiny Pitts could not shoot from the outside, and Kanisha Bell was wildly inefficient. So not only couldn't she shoot, she was turning the ball over a lot, she was running into players, she was taking a lot of inefficient jumpers, so she'd get like 16 points, but it would be on what seemed about 75 shots. Those things can't happen. They also need to establish at least one more consistent score somewhere. Could be Ty Bello down low. It could be Annalise Lampke. But it needs there needs to be a, a third player. Finally, unfortunately for Lindsey Whalen, she has no bench whatsoever. Against Penn State, I think they dressed eight players because just about everyone is injured. 
that means that the starters are going to regularly be putting in 38, potentially 40 minutes a night. So the starters have to stay healthy. Another injury for the team, and, and they're screwed. I'm going to swing us over to hockey for like the briefest of seconds uh, because I am not Andy and I am not currently the hockey mind. I just want to point out that a month ago, the men were swept by Michigan State, which is horrid. This weekend, they swept on the road. They were on the road at Ohio State. They swept number two Ohio State. I don't know how to explain this. I will take it as a positive sign. That is literally all I have about hockey. Which brings us to the just the, the topic that I know all of you are, are just dying to hear us uh, opine about. Jerry Kill and his big, big motor mouth. Um, Jerry Kill, uh, if you haven't already seen it blow up on Twitter, decided today was a wonderful day um, to do an interview where he absolutely apparently tore into uh, PJ Fleck for reasons, well, mostly just because he's kind of a jerk, it turns out. And uh, let's see, let's look at the, the main quotes, the, one, the, the quotes that have kind of been highlighted by everybody uh, as he made his way. Uh, do I still root for the Gophers? I do. Do I enjoy him, PJ Fleck, running up and down the sideline? No. Do I think he's about the players? No, he's about himself. Um, yeah, Jerry, just go, go be quiet. Go be the athletic director at Southern Illinois uh, because the heck, man. Like, that's just, this is just really lame. I, Everyone who knows me knows that I dislike Myron Medcalf a great deal. I think Myron Medcalf is a hack. I think he's not that great of a basketball writer. Um, but when Myron Medcalf gets retweeted into my timeline and I read it and I realize that Myron is actually totally right, I start getting concerned for Jerry Kill. Uh, Myron Medcalf. I'm a Jerry Kill fan. I was there the day he had his first seizure at a game. Minnesota fans supported him until the end when his health interrupted his tenure. Today he went after P.J. Fleck and made personal comments that were completely out of line. He owes Fleck an apology. And I'm forced to co-sign a Myron Medcalf tweet. This is what you've done to me, Jerry Kill. Um, Whatever else, you liked my Zubas once after the game at Indiana. You said so. I'll forever cherish that, but just shut the fuck up and move on with your life. For real. I know Street doesn't have anything to say about this. Steve, thoughts? Well, I feel like there's always two certainties in life, and that's uh, A, someone leaving Minnesota and talking about Minnesota, and then B, Minnesotans taking offense to what someone from outside of Minnesota is saying about them. <laughs> this probably fits into both those categories, but I don't know. This I'm not like a Jerry Kill uh, follower or expert these days, and but I feel like he ends up in our our sites just because he talks about Minnesota occasionally, maybe not even maybe like probably more often than occasionally, but it seems like he's always got something to say about his time here, even when he seemed to have left on good terms. And when things like this pop up, I'm just kind of like, I don't know, stay in your lane or like, what, what do you got to prove? Why is this on your mind? Why are you saying things like this? And why does it need to be said? Um, I don't pretend to know like the dynamics of what's going on 
in his head these days and why this has to pop up. But like, you know, <laughs> what happened that requires him to have such a salty attitude about Minnesota, the athletic department, things that are going on here, and to have them manifest themselves as quotes like this. I don't quite get it. Yeah, it's... I liked Jerry. I can't say I like him now because he's been a bitter old man pretty much from the second he left Minnesota, just simply seemingly because uh, the athletic department didn't feel like making him some form of like dictator between the AD and the football coach. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, move on, Jerry Kill. You have a wonderful chance to retire at the school that you resurrected from absolute... Uh, absolute uh, the shit heap, and they've made you an AD, which apparently you've wanted to do. Go do that. Be happy. Don't don't be a hater. I have. I can. I can say one other minor thing because uh, it is also fairly well known. As I've made this quite public, that I find the sort of constant people ask Jerry Kill a question, he answers it, and we have to get all up in arms about it one way or the other to be somewhat confusing because uh, it's a little bit or it feels a little bit like someone constantly talking about how they're really excited and happy for their ex while constantly uh, saying very bad things about their ex's new partner but the premise of jerry kill's comments consistently get back to this notion that pj flex said something about how there was a bad culture in place and while it is plausible to read some of how pj fleck was making that argument as saying that that was in fact never something that pj flex said he said that a different culture was required now there might be a reason for this because part of the reason why pj fleck is the current head coach of the university of minnesota is that tracy clays was fired because he allowed a boycott over a massive gang rape scandal i will note that that was not the first time that the football team under jerry kill or one of his successors had some kind of argument about sexual harassment or worse posed to them it is also not a coincidence as far as i'm concerned that quite a few of the complaints that are that jerry kill consistently associates as the notion of changing the culture never are actually specific to what pj fleck actually said because it's much easier to take someone out of context and then be righteously angry about them if that's the case the final bit about that is that it is absolutely the case that Jerry Kill uh, won a whole lot of football games, but he never won the axe. So there we are. And isn't that the real point of all this? And I'm going to be honest, that to me is a pretty good culture change. Yeah, I'm down for a culture change that uh, lets me uh, celebrate in Madison while the axe is parade around. I'm good for that. How is he, how is he as the Rutgers offensive coordinator? Garbage. Well, I mean, to be fair, that probably wasn't a huge culture change for Rutgers. Um, other other culture change things that I enjoy, not recruiting quarterbacks who could also be running backs, tight ends, or safeties. Other culture changes uh, that I enjoy, especially when like someone talks about this like for the players nonsense, as if like literally anything any head coach does at the college level is for the players. Get out of here with that crap is for you 
You're the head coach. You're the only one who gets paid. <laughs> and I don't mean that in the sense that I don't think that Jerry Kill cared about his players because obviously he did in the same way that P.J. Fleck obviously cares about his players. But both of them would be more than happy to jettison any of their players if it means that they would win more football games. Because that's the whole point. <laughs> but I would say uh, if you are Jerry Kill and you retire... And you do not get the cushy job that you want to continue running the football team, uh, which incidentally your successor was not a huge fan of either you getting that particular job. So you promptly leave to take several other jobs to consistently be in football, despite this being something that for a variety of reasons you could not do at the University of Minnesota anymore. It is hard for me to believe that you were doing that because like you deeply cared about the players at Rutgers. Are you saying that the players at Rutgers are not deserving of love? I am saying they made poor life choices and they chose to go to Rutgers. Well, that's that's an arguably true. But if you were on the offensive side of the football while Jerry Kill was being the offensive coordinator, I don't think you were getting a whole heck of a lot of love if you were at Rutgers. So I forgot to throw to Steve for baseball because I'm, you know, awesome like that. But he had one nugget I think we all need to hear. Steve, what is this amazing scheduling detail you want to pass along? Uh, about Minnesota baseball this year? Well, as you know, uh, Minneapolis is hosting the Final Four this year, which is at U.S. Bank Stadium, which is also where the Gophers now play their winter games while we wait for the snow to melt. But because of the scheduling snafu, they can't play the games that they would ordinarily play at U.S. Bank Stadium, which means that their first 21 games this year in the baseball season are on the road in warmer climates and places that allow them to play baseball indoors. So talk about... A scheduling snafu. But we get basketball in a big, giant football stadium. That's true. But think of the road games, Chris. Think of the road games. But they have to hang giant curtains over all the glass. They have to literally cover up the best thing about that stadium. And you don't want to see how that looks terrible on TV? I mean, I am looking forward to it, if I'm being honest. Uh, Stadium schadenfreude. Never thought we'd get there, but here we are. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to another episode of the SkyU podcast. Go Gophers. SkyU Ma. Row the boat. Go Gophers. Row the boat.